Thanks for choosing this podcast. This is Coming Out Stories with me, Emma Goldswell. It's brought to you by What Goes On Media and we bring you a brand new, inspiring LGBTQ plus story every single fortnight. This time we're off to California to meet Day. He's an artist, a writer and a big believer in the power of ritual. More on that later and you can find out about his new book on that very subject. He identifies as being a gay man and I began by asking him when he realised that was the case. Oh man. I mean, I think that the big question is about, around self-awareness. I mean, you know, sometimes when you're a young person, you know, you're getting so much reflection or you should be getting a lot of reflection from the adults, right? So, you know, uh, I think a lot of my adults were not really paying that close attention to me because I was quite a sensitive boy, you know, very sensitive boy and a boy who was more interested in art than sports, a boy who was more interested in compassion and feelings than kind of like pursuing or or competition and a boy that was much more interested in playing in nature than in playing with you know video games i mean all of those i think are positive attributes but were they celebrated or was they were celebrated or were they like why are you doing that why are you so sensitive no i think it was a little bit more like that there wasn't really a, a lot of cultivation of my sensitivity So I think on one hand, there wasn't a demonization of it, but on the other hand, there wasn't a cultivation of it. And I think that in looking back, if I could father that boy, if I could be the parent to that boy, you know, I would really like look at that boy and be like, wow, you're carrying a lot of gifts. And what turns you, you know, what brings you alive in the world? You know, art brings you, nature brings you alive, you know, like really, you know, uh, water brings you, like all of these things bring me brought brought my little boy alive but i think that there was a lot of you know kind of confusion amongst the mainstream and also when i was a kid there was no lgbtq representation in the media there was no lgbtq representation in my neighborhood there was none in the family there was no way of me seeing myself reflected back in the culture right as opposed to now i talk to a lot of younger people and it's like they have the privilege of seeing themselves reflected back. I don't know if you saw them. I'm sure you did. You Tell me you saw the Netflix series Heartstopper. Of course I did, yes. I watched it like four times this year because it was mm. medicinal. And I'll tell you where the medicine was for me. The medicine was both a celebration of the fact that so many kids get to see that representation reflected back to them, right? They get to see their stories told. Junior high, high school, college kids get to look at that story told, and I want. And the medicine was the celebration, and simultaneously, the medicine was a bit of heartbreak that I didn't get that as a child. You know, I'm watching this show and I'm crying both in celebration and in heartbreak for all of the you know the young queers when I was growing up that didn't have that, but now we do. No, and we we grew up thinking we were the only gay people exactly. in the world almost because we didn't see it reflected back, did we? Exactly. So, I mean, I don't need you to tell me your exact age day. You can if you want. But, you know, what sort of ballpark decade were, were you growing up in? I'm, were proud, of my, I'm proud of the fact that I've, that I've lived to be a, a ripe old age of 44. Yeah, 78. But, born in 78, 80s baby, 90s mm-hmm. teenager, and quite a, a private kid. And coming out of the closet really 
released me of a lot of my hesitation about, you know, being myself. I'll tell you this, you know, I know you want to talk about um, coming out stories, but my coming out story actually started with almost dying. So good God, that's a first go on. Yeah. So I was, I was a junior in college and I was living abroad, studying abroad in Jerusalem. And I got to the country and within like, I think three weeks, my university bus stop was bombed and I was on my way to the bus stop that morning. Really, if I was probably a minute earlier, you would not be talking to me right now. And so that's how the, wow. that's how the year started for me. And then the year ended for me, I was directing theater. I was directing a musical in Jerusalem. And I found out that not only did I have a major crush on the lead that I was, that I cast, but I also heard a rumor that he came out of the closet and he was the, let's just presence this. This is kind of wild to even consider. He was the first Mm. person I met to have been out and gay. Junior year of college, junior year of college. I was 19 turning 20. Yeah. So that's a long time to wait, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a remark. I mean, growing up, in retrospect, we had a cousin who was gay, and he had children, and he had a partner. But in my family, they referred to the partner as his as the nat, the children's nanny. Okay, so they weren't even letting him claim his partnership in the family. I mean, that's the family I grew up in, right? Like, not a raising up of, but a diminishment of. Um, being queer. So I met him, he was starring in in the show. And I heard he was gay, I already came out of the closet. And I was crushing. So I used to listen to Tracy Chapman songs and cry in my bed crushing on him. <laughs> and oh, we've all got a heartbreak tune. Yeah, after one rehearsal, we I said, Can I, t- you know, can I, can I talk to you? And because it's Jerusalem, you know, it's like you're basically living in like an archaeological site. So we went outside in the back, which was this Roman amphitheater, which was, you know, epic. I mean, really. Mm. And we took a walk on an ancient theater, you know, an ancient stage from Roman times. And I remember him, you know, he's like, what do you want to talk about the show? And I was like, no, 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 no. I would, you know, I heard you came out of the closet and I just, I'd love to like hear about your experience. And, and I just, I kept on just asking him questions and asking him questions. And we just talked and walked for like a few hours. And it got to the point where he actually turned to me and he said, um, he said, yeah, I mean, I basically felt like he, I cornered myself, you know, in the conversation <laughs> for him to force me to ask me, you know, he said, do you like, do you like guys too? And my heart is thumping out of my body and I just could not hide anymore. It's like the, it's like the, um, Anis Nin quote, um, you know, the time when it was too painful for the bud to remain a bud. So it had to explode and blossom. And so, you know, I had to explode in that moment. Uh, it was too painful to hold it in. And so I said, yes. And I remember his first guidance to me was to, you know, not to keep this to myself and not to keep this between us, but to actually tell people. And so I was actually with a, a woman at the time who's still my best friend, by the way. How amazing is oh, that? Oh, but you were partners. So you had a girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And she was actually the stage manager on the show. 
and I, she was the first, per, the second person I came out to. And also that was an all night walk on the streets of Jerusalem, trying to garner the courage to actually own my truth in her presence. It took until like five in the morning. And as the sun was rising on the hills of Jerusalem, I came out to her and then it was kind of an avalanche moment. And then I didn't come out to my family and to my parents for another year after that. And was that the end of the relationship? With with my girlfriend? It was mm. a trans... It's funny. It's <laughs> The story continues, right? So I that bet. was the end of our relationship. But simultaneously, I happened to introduce her to what would become her husband. So we're 19, turning 20. I introduced her to her husband. She's been married... She had been married for 22 years, and this year they're going through a divorce. So I'm actually helping her because, you know, part of my work in the world is helping people through life transitions, ritualizing them and mm -hmm. helping them make, mm -hmm. be more meaningful. And so I'm helping her through her divorce. And so she helped me through my coming out, and I'm helping her with her divorce. And it's very beautiful and you know and and these types of things you can't write them you can't make them up it's just like they're you know they're well-wrought relationships over time and and so well yeah. you were obviously meant to be soulmates in some sort of way but um, did you end up having a relationship with her because well obviously there was connection there but did you feel like you should have a relationship with a woman because you knew you were gay but you were trying to hide it was was that the situation yeah i mean i think at the time i was really swayed by other people's attraction to me so i think she was she was fully you know wanting she was in love and i was in love with her as a friend and i didn't have the capacity or experience to be able to say no you know i didn't have the the self-awareness to be able to say like I love you too, but I'm not attracted to you. And so I let myself kind of get taken into relationships, A, to hide and B, to, you know, to stay in, to deepen in the relationship. But really it was a, it was a hiding place for me, for sure. We took a trip to Italy together and, you know, she, all she wanted to do was have sex. And all I wanted to do was, you know, go like sketch the David. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic though. I love it. I love it. So do you think you knew you were gay for quite some time before that, before you quizzed um, this person? It's a very, it's a, you know, self-awareness is a very hard topic to talk about because it's I don't think it's 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 in the realm of clarity I don't think it's I don't think mm -hmm. self-awareness is always in the realm of black and white clarity I think that there are certain behaviors that we do that give us a sense or a scent of something and we can do them for a long time without the awareness that we are that thing or that we claim that mm -hmm. thing or that we're claimed by that thing so for instance, you know, my teenage years, I was watching gay porn. In a conversation like we're having right now, someone might say, or some might listen and be like, oh, then you knew. But that doesn't, that's actually not the case. You know, yeah. I didn't know, no, I didn't know. Um, instead, it was a behavior that was clouded by forgetfulness or suppression or some sense. I mean, it's, I'm not that person anymore, so it's really hard for me to to speak into that experience, but it's almost like I did it and then denied it. And denial is a very powerful spell. It really yeah. is. 
And I have to say, you're not the first person I've spoken to who, you know, there were lots of clues all the way along, but they might not have realised themselves or certainly come out until a little bit later on in midlife, really. So it, it is quite common, I think, for LGBT people to suppress it within themselves, let alone not come out to everyone else. It's about admitting it to yourself first, isn't it? Well, I think, look, I think that there's a lot of things at play. You know, first and foremost, the culture that we're living, that we lived in, I think it's different, although not entirely. It was very threatening. You know, there was no, there was like actual consequences to claiming this. So I'm contending mm. at the same time with my desires and a threat, you know, and how did those coexist together? How do you get your needs met, especially as a teenager? I mean, your hormones are exploding. You know, so how do you get your needs met? How do you get your sexual expression expressed? And at the same time, contending with the threat of being found out or exposed. You know, there's a story that's coming up right now, by the way, which is this is years after I came out of the closet. I mean, 10 years. I went on a trip to, to Morocco and I almost was thrown in prison for being gay in Morocco. Wow. And this is in 2012. But it still happens in lots of places in the world. But what happened to you? Oh, I was I was dating a Moroccan man that I met at, B, at a Bjork concert. I was with other friends, but we were traveling together too. And we were in Marrakesh. And we spent the night in my at this um, boutique hotel on the roof of the hotel, smoking cigarettes and telling stories and laughing. And we must have been up there till like two in the morning. And then we went into my room and... We had sex and had a lovely evening together. And this was like something that we had been doing for, for like over a month in different places. The next morning we, you know, we woke up, showered, and he said to me, I need to leave first and you need to stay in here for 20 minutes before I go. And so the reason why is because it was not just illegal for a Moroccan person to date a non-Moroccan or a, maybe a Muslim to date a non-Muslim, but it was especially illegal mm. for a man to sleep with a man. And so mm. I obeyed his request. He left. I stayed in the room, left 20 minutes, went down to the desk, front desk. And I went to collect my passport. And the guy behind the counter said, first thing, and he's fuming. And he says, was there a man in your room last night? <gasps> and I said, I have no idea what you mean. And he, and he escalated and said, was there a man in your room last night? And I said, I, I have no idea what you mean. I would really love to pay for my room, have my passport and be on my way. And he starts screaming about calling the police. He reveals that the cleaning person peeked into the window while we were showering together and reported it to the front desk. And he was about to report oh, it to the God. police. My friend shows up and tries to like calm down the situation. And I said to her, we're going to have to run. And I grabbed my passport our passports and we ran to the train station and got on the next train that's terrifying isn't it but when it's scary when you think how many people are living their lives like that right across the world in over 70 countries where it's illegal to be gay exactly and we're so privileged in these countries and i, I think take it for granted you know we really really mm. do and there's so much privilege in i mean i'm in los angeles right now a lot of privilege here and a lot of privilege about freedom and the capacity to walk down the street and not be arrested or, you know, injured or, you know, I have elders in my life, gay elders who were thrown in prison in the 60s in a bar that was raided 
And then their names mm-hmm. the next morning were published in the newspaper and they lost their jobs and their relationships, you know, and that's not that long ago. It's not, is it? And that's the sort of behavior that led to Stonewall eventually and led to Pride. Yeah, yeah, but the problem these days from my perspective, and maybe now I'm showing my age a little bit, is we forget, you know, we forget and we forget, you know, how close it was to, uh, de- what, three decades ago, not four decades ago, you know, not a long time ago where this was illegal in our country. And as you just said, it's illegal in many, many other countries right now. And we can't forget the privileges that we have. And we can't forget the people that fought so hard for so long and were murdered or imprisoned or threatened or all of these pieces that helped to give us these privileges today. I mean, I think a lot of our role as queer people is to be what my teacher calls great rememberers. You know, we have to remember mm-hmm. our people. We have to remember the times that we, we come from. We have to remember the rights that we fought for. And, you know, we have to lift each other up. Yeah, well, because you know what? They can be taken away as quickly as they can be given those rights. And unfortunately, you're living, you're living in a country where some of those rights have been taken away, especially for trans people. I so. mean, one of the things that Congress in my country right now is trying to solidify, you know, gay marriage rights because we know that there's another side of the aisle that is really, and there's a Supreme Court that's really ready to, you know, they took away abortion and they're really, Mm -hmm. really ready to take away our rights now too. It's tragic, but it's also a wake up call. And to me, that's a really important thing for us to have is we can't, we can't get, you know, too asleep at the wheel and we can't get too used to our rights. I think we really need to keep seeing them as privileges. 100% 100% I'm with you on that um, but anyway back to you we've been back around uh, the world several times but we've discussed politics and gay rights but um, <laughs> now let's talk about you and coming out to your family because it yep. was it was more an acquaintance than your girlfriend that we heard you coming out to but um, I guess there was a moment when you thought right it's time to tell the folks yeah I was going home for Thanksgiving it actually was 25 years ago this week which is crazy mm-hmm 25 years ago, this very week, I remember I was in my dorm room in college and I had a conversation with my mom and and I came out to her and she, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. Her response was sad and beautiful at the same time, if those two things could be true. Um, you know, she cried a lot and mm. she cried... I think really just mourning the person that she thought I was and the future that she thought I was going to have. And she cried out of ignorance. You know, she didn't know the the community or the culture that I was, you know, that I was entering into. And I think she grew, you know, she came out of a time where she equated being gay with getting AIDS. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there was a lot of fear in that. And, and she really, by the way, struggled for, I don't know, five maybe even 10 years. For the first couple of years, she, whenever she was asking me about dating, you know, she would always ask if I met a man or a woman. And there came a point many years later where I actually had to say to her, you know, you have to stop asking that. Yeah, I'm not bisexual. I'm definitely gay. Yeah, and you have to stop at, because that's not about me. That's about you. That's about you holding on to a certain aspect of of who you want me to be, not actually the person that I actually am. And then going back to that original conversation, my father also cried, and this was on the phone, 
but he was a lot more, my dad is a, was a simple guy and, and actually just, you know, reminded me that he loved me and, um, and supported me. And there was like, th that was basically it from him, you know, like loved me no matter who I was. Now, would mm -hmm. I have liked the conversation to been a celebration of who I am? Yes. Do I believe mm -hmm. that coming out of the closet is a rites of passage? Yes. Do I think that the most important part of a rites of passage is a welcoming back? Yes. How important it is to welcome back, you know, because being closeted, you're like, I mean, for me, I was kind of like in some weird underworld. I didn't really understand where I was or who I was. And then I finally like came out, which to me is this welcome back of a rites of passage. And I, you know, when you come back, let's just even say, like, let's talk about it in terms of war. When a, when a soldier comes back from war, the most important thing is that they're honored and celebrated so that they can integrate their experience. If you look at a lot of research, there's a lot of like, in my country, Vietnam veterans who really struggled after that war because they were shamed after the war and they struggled with a lot of mental illness. Whether you agree or disagree with whatever people are doing, it's like the welcoming back is a really, really important part. And so these days, Whenever I talk to parents or I talk to colleagues or I talk to my audience about coming out of the closet, you know, it's not an acceptance that is needed when someone comes out. It's actually praise. Mm. It's praise. That's a really interesting way of looking at it, actually. And I've been in the privileged position to have interviewed over 100 people for this podcast. And I can count on one hand one person whose parents slapped them on the back and said, well done, that's brilliant, have a beer. You know, most of them exactly. it's like, oh, I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that or it's total rejection or at the very best it's it's okay, I still love you. But you're right, there's only one person who's really been celebrated. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Mm. It's because being closeted is a dangerous thing. A lot of people don't come out. There's a mm. lot of people that don't come out, meaning they either stay closeted or they kill themselves. It's a dangerous thing. So coming out of the closet is actually a life affirming experience. You made it, you came out, you survived, you're here. And like, that is worthy of praise. That's worthy of celebration. You know, when you actually got to this moment, as opposed to like, okay, I have to accept the person that you are. It's more like you survived that time. That's a different way of seeing it, you know? And and I think that that needs to be something we teach people these days is like to actually praise and celebrate the experience. That's a really good idea. And actually, I threw a massive party for being 30 years queer and I called it my gay anniversary. And uh, people had to make their own cards. So I think that sh I should trademark that and it should be become a big event for people. You should celebrate the day you came out and people should throw parties and celebrate. I made everyone dress as gay icons. So there should be more of that, I think, really. I, you know, can I just, I know that you were going to ask me about, I just wrote a book, so I know that you're going to ask me about it, but it's actually the right time for me to name something from it. So Go ahead. I, I'm going to ask you about your book day. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So to give some context, I wrote a book called Hello Goodbye. It's basically, it's a book of, to make meaning with life transitions. I call them, it's rituals, mm. but really like in moments of birth, death, miscarriage, lot, you know, losing a pet, leaving a job, moving a home. There are moments that need us to make some meaning with them. There are moments where mm. 
we got to remember what's important at those moments and not just carry on with life as normal, you know, because they're not normal moments. So coming out of the closet, it's one of those threshold moments, right? It's not a normal moment. It's a big moment. So in this book, I have a chapter on coming out and the introduction of the chapter is a lot of the things we're talking about right now. And then mm -hmm. I write two like ritual recipes um, so that you can do it so that, you know, because a lot of people at these moments don't know what to do. Ritual and meaning making is about doing something. So one of them is for the person actually coming out of the closet. And then the other ritual is for the family and the loved ones of the person. And the second one is the one I'm thinking about right now because I call it the affection ritual. And if you boil it down, the whole thing is about connecting with the family and friends of the person that's coming out of the closet and asking them to basically create, to write one little card, one card that has a word or a reminder for that person, a reflection, a word, a reminder, something that that person needs to hear. And you're essentially creating a deck of cards for them. And the deck of cards is the gift that you give to this person when they're coming out of the closet. Because sometimes when we're coming out, we need reminders about like who we are or what's important or, you know, that I'm beautiful or brave or courageous or amazing or, you know, that we need those, the thing that I called praise before. We need a lot of praise because we're these new little queer beings and we're vulnerable and we need a lot of support. We need to feel each other. We need to feel all the people that love us at our back. So this deck of cards is basically a way that it's a gift that you can give them. And it's a way that they can just pull one every day and get a reminder about, you know, how loved they are and what they need to remember. It's an opportunity to just feel the support of your community or your family or friends. And, and mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for the family or friends or community to participate in the celebration and uplifting of this queer person. What a great idea. And why are rituals so important to you? It's something that you've done most of your life, isn't it, really? It is. Yeah, I come from a Jewish culture, and we really do ritual very well at moments of endings and beginnings. And um, rituals are important because as human beings, we forget all of the time. You know, we forget, like, what's important. We forget, you know, who we are. We forget the relationships we're in. Life gets busy and distracting and stressful and all of these things. And, you know, I don't know about you, but my, I have like 1,200 emails and I've got like a crazy busy day and I've got money stress. You know, there's a lot of things on our mind. And yet at moments of mean, uh, meaningful moments, you know, you define that for yourself, you know, having a baby or, you know, becoming a grandparent or getting a new job or whatever it is, finishing a project coming out of the closet. These are moments that are asking us to stop what we're doing and to remember what's important. And ritual is all about symbolism. So we, we do something symbolic that externalizes kind of the moment of what's happening so that we can see it and we can change as life is changing. Rituals really help us change. And rituals, by the way, don't belong to religion. 
Oh, good. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I think um, a lot of people relate to that to that more. I mean, we created our own ritual last weekend because we had a naming ceremony for the baby. Oh, and beautiful. Neither me and my partner are from fa- Faith. So we just got a, a room in a beautiful building and we wrote our own vows and stuff for friends and family to say as well. And we got everyone to write little wishes for baby Neve and hang them on a little tree. So that's a ritual. It's a ritual. It? And that oh, meant absolutely. so much. We wanted to celebrate the fact that that baby was actually here and actually healthy. So mm. let me ask you a question. So what would the consequences be if you didn't do that? I think we just felt like we missed out really. Because it's been such a long journey. It's been 50 years for me to actually become a parent. So wow. that's something worth that's celebrating. That's good for me to hear because I want to become a parent. There's still and time 44. for you yet, Dave. <laughs> There's still time for you yet. And then the baby had had lots of health problems at the beginning. She had a heart operation at three weeks. And we just really wanted to bring friends and family together and celebrate her life. And it just meant so much. And I cried nearly all day. Um, but it was really powerful to do that and to celebrate the baby and to celebrate us all being together as family and friends. And who gave mm. you the idea to write little things and hang them up? Who created that? My partner Siobhan found it online. I don't know what she was Googling, but she was finding ideas for naming ceremonies. Beautiful. So I don't know where she got that from. But she, she just found it. But it was a really lovely idea. And we've got it downstairs still with all people's words and wishes on for her future so it's yes it was it's a good i mean that's exactly why i wrote this book you know i wrote a book Mm. basically creating ritual recipes like your partner was looking for online it's these are in my book and they're just Mm. opportunities to gather your people together and to stop the normal life and to actually make this moment meaningful and to remember what's important in these moments. You know, rituals gather us back together. It's like life is just by nature weathering and fraying. I mean, <laughs> I've gone gray in the last three years. You know, it's like by nature. It happens. It happens. By nature, life is, you know, life just frays. And by the way, the word remember is an interesting word because it basically says exactly that. The word, the part R-E means to do it again. Re means again, right? And member, member is like a whole. It's membership, right? Like to member means to make whole. But the fact that you have to do it again means that it, it got shattered or forgotten or frayed. You lost it. And so remembering means you bring it back together again. And that's exactly what rituals do is they basically say like life has been really fraying. You almost didn't make it. Things have been really hard. And here it is. You made it. You got this, you know, a baby, right? Mm -hmm. A healthy baby. Like Mm -hmm. this is a moment to stop all the other stuff, to gather your people back together and to remember what this whole life is about. Right. Yeah. Remember the important stuff. Yeah. Well, before you go, I always ask people for advice for other people coming out. I know there's a whole chapter in your book, but a little snippet of um, advice from someone that's been there and done that and now living a happy gay life in California. Yeah. I'll say this. Um, You know, ritual to me is very much about discernment. It helps us to discern who we were from who we are now. That's like a real function of ritual. And the ritual I wrote for the person coming out in the book is very much about discerning, separating in the, in the evening, this is the person I was. And in the morning, this is the person I'm choosing to be now. And so my mm-hmm. advice for folks coming out is to keep on separating the layers, discerning, this is not who I am anymore. 
This is not what I want anymore. This is not what I identify as anymore. And to keep on choosing, this is the person I am. This is the life I want. This is the partnerships I want. This is the person I want to be in the world. This process of discernment is like, it's an everyday process, you know, to actually keep choosing life, keep choosing to be queer, beautiful humans, keep choosing to be courageous, keep choosing to be you. A big thank you today for chatting to me and fascinating to find out all about the power of ritual and how they can really help people coming out. So his book is called Hello Goodbye, 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration and Change. So look out for him. He's called Day Skildgrit and his book is available now. You know what, it's hard to believe this, but our book, Coming Out Stories, has now been out for two years. Where's that time gone? And if you haven't got yourself a copy yet, don't worry, it is still available and still as relevant today as it ever was. You can find more at comingoutstoriespodcast.com. You can also get in contact with us there. And don't forget to follow us on the socials. We are at comeoutstories on Twitter and at comingoutstoriespod on Instagram. And we love hearing from you. Next episode, you'll meet a trans woman from Barrow in the northwest of England. She's called Lucy, and she told me about her life-changing trip in her youth to a catalogue shop in her hometown. She'd been the week earlier and spotted her ideal outfit. It was a long cocktail dress with puff-sleeved arms, but the puff-sleeved arms, they were kind of off the shoulder, if you get me. Very dynasty. It was in um, what I can only describe as a cobalt blue colour. Oh, my God. I tried it on. And for that split second, I felt an absolute million fucking bucks. I was just like, I'm here. I've arrived. (laughs) 